Peter chapter 1, verse 3-14, if you have a copy of God's Word. I never struggled with, with anxiety in my life, except on two occasions. A, when someone is cutting my hair, and they don't seem like they know what they're doing, and I can't see. The second is when I come to Redeemer, and I don't know if I have enough time to preach. I'm always sitting there, Thank you. Do I have enough time to preach and do I need to take something out? So, but it is good to be here. And so I will continue. Uh, what is the time? You've got plenty of time. First okay. Peter chapter 3, verses 14 through 15. It is my desire to press upon us this morning this, this simple reality. It's a reality that I spend a good time, a bit of time thinking. A good bit of time and uh, guilt myself over this topic. This is a topic that, that most of what I'm talking about this morning comes out of my own personal motivation, my personal meditation. And it is this simple reality that if this morning you're a born again believer and that God has saved you, that you have a responsibility to proclaim the gospel where God's placed you. That you have a responsibility based on the gifts and the abilities that God has given you, based on the doors that God opens up for you. That you have a responsibility to speak the gospel into people's lives. Not simply to live out the gospel. Sometimes I wish the Christian life was that simple. But that we have a responsibility to proclaim the gospel into people's lives. Uh, I was a pastor for about 11 years. Uh, came into the chapel for... Um, and there's a few things that I've learned about myself in the last four to five years, uh, being a Christian in a very secular environment. Um, my job pretty much consists that I'm in a metal box with 18 to 24 year olds. Um, and at some point tomorrow, someone's gonna knock on my door and say I have a problem, and they're gonna look for me to a solution. Um, and you say, well Joe, what's the problem with that? Um, that is a great opportunity. However, there's a couple things that I've learned in that dynamic. That the gospel is awkward. The gospel is offensive. The gospel makes conversations dicey. The gospel immediately brings a prick to relationships. I've also learned this, that the gospel makes you immediately aware of what people think about you. I would like to think that I've outgrown some of the realities of high school, but in the end, I really haven't. The gospel just makes you care what people view of you. And in reality, to be honest with you, if I'm honest sometimes, I would really not like to even have the obligation of feeling that I need to share the gospel. Because it's easier often to talk about anything other than the gospel. The gospel immediately brings a rub into relationships. It's something that God continually works in my heart and continually presses on my heart. And I would imagine I'm not the only one that feels that in time. So if you have a copy of God's Word with you this morning, I encourage you to stand if you're able. 1 Peter 3, 14-15 will be our text this morning. The Word of God says this, But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, 
always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Do it with gentleness and respect. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. It would not be an understatement to say that in the last 10 to 15 years in our culture, our culture has completely changed the rules on how to discuss faith in interpersonal relationships. Our culture has several rules now in which we must all abide by. First of all, you are free to believe and be what you like. Secondly, however, you cannot be or believe something that would condemn another person's way of life. Third, do not make exclusive claims. Don't say that your way is the only way. Fourth, never deliver a message that would offend another person's way of life. Uh, offense really is the, the key word in our society today, isn't it? Um, don't deliver something that would offend another person's way of life. You are free to have freedom of religion, but religion must stay in its context. Our culture does not have a problem with, with religion staying in this context. However, once you leave the doors, you do not take it with you. Well, it almost goes without saying that this places Christians in a position uh, of dire circumstances. Because the path of responsibility demands that we proclaim the gospel. Rico Tice, he wrote a book on evangelism that I would encourage you all to read. And he says in this book that these changes has produced two types of Christians. And I would imagine that everybody in this room are in these two types. Maybe go back and forth. He says that in the West today, there are two types of Christians. There are first the type that understand the gospel. They understand the grace of God. They also understand that they are ambassadors of the gospel to the world. They're not perfect in it, but they go out into their secular environments. They try to make relationships. They try to invite people to church. And they try to proclaim the gospel into people's lives when God gives them opportunity. That is the first type of Christian. The second type of the Christian is a person who understands the gospel, they go to church, they love their spouse, they try to instruct their children in the things of God, they try to obey God, but in their secular environment, they're completely quiet about their faith. If you went into their environment and you asked people in their environment, is this person a Christian, most people would not even know that they're a Christian. They're not vocal about their faith, they do not speak faith into any circumstance. That understanding and that idea is completely antithetical to the book of Acts. We do not find that understanding in the book of Acts. Kevin DeYoung said this, that all Christians are not called to be missionaries, but all Christians are called to missions. All Christians are called to missions. All Christians are called to adopt the mindset of a missionary. What is the mindset of a missionary? The mindset of a missionary is that a missionary goes into a particular location. He or she, they learn the culture, they learn the people, they establish relationships, they understand people's personalities, they begin to read people, and they begin to look for opportunities to speak and declare the gospel into those people's lives. The Bible is very clear that all of us have been called to do that same thing wherever God has placed us. Wherever you work, there is a culture. Wherever you work, there are people. Wherever you work, there are people that need to understand the glorious gospel. 
In both the Old Testament and the New Testament, God has desired that His people influence the world for His glory. In the Old Testament, it was war. Come and see. Come and see the glories of what God has done in the people of Israel. Come see the, the tabernacle and the temple and the prophets and the law. In the New Testament, there is a change. There is more a go and tell. Go out into the world and declare the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. I think in the book of Acts, if you look at the first nine chapters, as I've read through the book of Acts many times, the book of Acts, especially the first nine chapters, it gives you a paradigm of how to understand culture and how to understand how the culture always responds to the gospel. You see in the first beginning chapter, chapter one, Peter, he preaches this message, the power of the resurrection, Pentecost, all these people get saved. He preaches this amazing sermon. Peter and John, they do this miracle. They're arrested. The end result is they say, hey, listen, you're, you're free to believe that. However, just be quiet about it. Just go out and don't say anything. And they say, listen, if you put me in a predicament, if I've either got to obey God or man, who will I obey? It's not your question. Who will I obey? What? They'll say, I believe God. And they continue to obey God. As they continue to obey God, the persecution amps up and it amps up and they continue to preach. And as you get the end of the first nine chapters, you have the first martyr where persecution has now reached its point where there's persecution and there's martyrdom to the faith. I believe that in that paradigm, all cultures go through that same paradigm. I think we as Western Christians, we go through that paradigm. However, I think we're in the few first two chapters. And I think for most Americans, where they are, most Americans have said this. They've said, listen, my idol is financial security. That is my God. If you will give me financial security, I will be quiet about my faith. That is where most Americans is, are. And that is completely antithetical to the Bible. The Bible commands us to proclaim the gospel where God has placed us. As we come into our text this morning, our text is a, written in the book of 1 Peter where they are experiencing persecution for their faith. They are in the middle of hostility and persecution. And it says this, beginning in verse 14, excuse me, verse 15. He says, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord is holy and always be prepared to give a defense for the hope that is in you. This hope is the hope of the resurrection. It is the death, burial, and resurrection. It is the gospel. And it says there are many things. It says always. That, that you're always to be ready. To be prepared. But to be prepared to proclaim the gospel. You know, as I think about evangelism, there's always been kind of two ways to evangelize. The, the first is contact evangelism. This is, I don't know a person. Um, I'm just sitting somewhere. And I don't know anything about them. And I begin to start up a relationship with them. And I turn that relationship in a way where the gospel is declared. The book of uh, uh, Christ, the woman at Samaritan at the well. That's contact evangelism. Jesus had no relationship with a Samaritan woman. And what did he do? He spoke the gospel into her lives. Um, I find that very difficult for <coughs> most of us. Um, I, find, I found a very few amount of people that have the gift to do that in the church. Maybe in my 41 years of being in the church, I've maybe met three people who had really the gift to do that. Um, and for many reasons, um, we've become less of an intrusive culture. 
Um, we, we just don't like to be intrusive into people's relationships. Um, and also, we become a culture where, where chit-chat now is almost kind of an odd thing, isn't it? Um, you're sitting somewhere, um, and you have a moment or two. You're sitting in the doctor's office, and it's only two people. Uh, what does immediately a person do in that moment? They pull their phone out, right? Um, and then at that point, when they pull their phone out, it's almost odd to start up a conversation, right? I mean, you can do it, but you'll be kind of that weird person, you know? What do you What are you looking at? ESPN, right? Have you ever thought about the gospel? <laughs> Have you ever heard about it? Um, it's not something that our, that our culture, it's almost a lost art. The, the second is, is relational evangelism. Relational evangelism is this idea that, that I build a relationship with you and I have some type of rapport where I earn the right to speak the gospel into your life. I think that's where most people are. I think that if you're doing anything, that's where most people live on a day-to-day -day basis. He says that we're always to be prepared. And he says, he continues, he goes, to give a defense. This is specifically an oral defense. This is speaking with your mouth. This isn't just, I, I believe in, in lifestyle evangelism. That's beautiful, but that's easy. It's easy in this day and age. It's easy. If you told me all I had to do was go out and try to be kind to people and love my neighbor, okay, I, 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 we, we can attempt that. This is speaking the gospel with your mouth. This is a, an oral proclamation of the gospel. They were to give a defense of anyone who asks for the reason of the hope that is in you. And then it says this, the last phrase, he says, to do it with gentleness and respect. He, he says that when we proclaim the gospel, the gospel is offensive in and of itself. We, we don't need to go out of our way to offend someone. We don't need to unnecessarily offend someone. I, I believe in being winsomely evangelical. Winsomely evangelical. But, but notice, winsome evangelical. That is the gospel winsomely evangelical, that, that, that when we proclaim the gospel, that when we speak the gospel into people's lives, we, we don't want to unnecessarily bring a rub. And, and this is an art. I, I think that when I speak the gospel into lost people's lives, that when I do it, one thing that I, that I always like to focus on is that you and me are more alike than we are just. We got the same problems. We got the same issues. Marriage is tough. Oh, yeah, I understand that. Raising kids is tough. Oh, I understand that. Being patient is tough. Oh, I understand that. You and I, are we're, we're broken. We have the same issues. You know, as we think about the gospel, why is it so, why is it so difficult? And why do we do it? You know, why do we not do it when we need to do it? Why is it that I've lived in the same place for nine years? Nine years I've lived in the same place. I have two neighbors, they're in their 70s, and at some point during the summertime, we were going to finish cutting our grass, and we are going to be outside shooting the breeze, and why is it that I have never, ever redirected one of those conversations in a gospel direction? Why is that? Why is that? Why haven't I ever just changed it? Why haven't I ever manipulated that conversation? Because I can manipulate conversations when I need to. I have a gift. 
<laughs> I can control the conversation. I like studying people. I love psychology. I love sociology. I love studying people. I love manipulating conversations. I love redirecting conversations. Why do I not do that? Why don't you do that? Why don't we do that? You know, as I think about it, as I meditate on this subject on a regular basis, one reason that, that I don't think we do it is that when we proclaim the gospel, we do not proclaim the gospel because we desire the approval of men. We just do. One of the stupidest things I've ever heard in my life is when a person says, I don't care what people think about me. <laughs> That's probably one of the dumbest things. Kids, don't say that. I'm 41 and I care what people think about me. We care what people think about us. We care how people view us. There are very few people that have the psychological makeup of John Baptist. He was a rare breed. He was a rare breed. He did not care. He did not concern himself with people's opinions. For most of us, we, we desire the idol of comfort and ease. We don't like pain. And, and evangelism will always bring degrees of pain and rejection. Tyson, in his book, says that when we proclaim the gospel, it will either be met with hostility or hunger. There's only two paths. There's only two end results. Romans 8, 15 through 7 says this that the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again, but you have been adopted as sons. Paul says that if you and I understand the doctrine of justification, that we have declared righteous and that God approves of us and that God looks down at us and says that we are sons and daughters, that when we live in that, we will not desire the approval. Most sins that occur in our life are because we need man's approval. You see, man's approval is the kryptonite to evangelism. It's the kryptonite. It just is. Secondly, we, we do not proclaim the gospel because it brings offense in relationships. Matthew 10, 16, Christ is sending out his disciples, and he says this, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was playing a football game and my coach was about to get ready, and he was giving me the pregame speech, the disciples, and he says, this is where you're going. You're like sheep among wolves. That's not too reassuring. But that doesn't make me comfortable. Christ says to the disciples that, that when they went out, they, they would constantly live in this this tension, this, this, this rub, this, this offense. You know, the gospel, it's, a, it's an interesting, it's such an interesting doctrine and an idea. And it's so interesting how so offensive it is. If you don't grasp the offense of the gospel, then either you're not declaring it or you're not around unbelief. Because when you are around unbelievers, the gospel is intensely offensive. Intensely offensive. For, for, for just to begin a message to say that you and I 
are the chief ones responsible to take responsibility for all of our actions. That's offensive. The, the gospel says that I am the biggest problem in the universe. My goodness, that's offensive. You know what's wrong with this world? Joe Gillum is what's wrong with this world. My sin is what's wrong with this world. That there is a God out there that's going to hold people responsible for their actions and not everybody gets to go to heaven is extremely offensive in our day. And you say, why don't, why don't we like that? Why don't we, why don't we want that? Why don't we, why don't we proclaim that in relationships? You know, when we proclaim the gospel in personal relationships, usually one or two things happen. And I'm not talking especially to people who know. Maybe there's a family member that you know, and you know they're not a believer. You eat dinner with them every holiday. You never spoke the gospel into your life, in your life. Why don't you speak the gospel? Why don't I speak the gospel? Because every time we do it, one or two things are going to happen when the gospel offends them. The, the first thing it's going to do is that they're going to draw back. They're going to draw back. Have you ever had someone draw back from you? Have you ever had that? Have you ever felt that? You just don't seem as friendly to me as you used to. You know, when I went back to you, what I got you before, you always seem so friendly. And what happens when, when that happens, you immediately think, well, you think, did I do something wrong? I did something wrong. And what happens when we, when we speak the gospel in people's lives, that when we do it, we'll actually think we did something wrong. Satan is the accuser of the brother. What Satan wants us to feel is he wants to feel, make us feel guilty when we get something right. That's what he wants to do. The Holy Spirit, he makes us feel guilty when we get something wrong. But, but Satan wants us to feel guilty when we get something right. And we'll proclaim the gospel in someone's life and they'll be reserved for us. When I first got on the ship, was a certain sailor and they were so friendly to me. Chaps, you're the best. We love you. You're the greatest. Chaps, you're so much better than the last chaps. And I'm not really chaps. You when you hear that, you're like, okay, nice to meet you, Judas. Okay, where's this? <laughs> <laughs> Don't ever say to your pastor, you're so much better than the last pastor. Because if they, they're not a rookie. They don't read you right away, right? And, and I, it was a relationship. It was good. This person was so friendly. They came to me and said, hey, listen, I want to ask you something. I'm a Christian. I'm a born again believer. So I'm dating someone that I know I'm going to marry. Is it okay if I'm intimate with this person before I marry, if I know I'm going to marry them? I answered that question in a very gracious, kind way, but clear in the gospel. And after that point, you know that person, they just were friendly to me. They just seemed to be so drawn from me. And you know what I began to say in my conscience? I wasn't a tutor Maybe I did it wrong. Maybe I shouldn't have been that clear. And you know what that was? It was the devil. It was the devil. The devil wants us to feel false guilt. That's what he wants us to feel. He wants us to feel false guilt. The second thing that we don't like to do when we share the gospel is that oftentimes when we share the gospel, especially in, in interpersonal relationships, people that we're close to, they want a lost person, not that cousin that you know, you know it's not good. You share the gospel with them. This is what's more than likely going to happen. 
when that person hears the gospel in their natural unsaved mind, this is how they're going to hear what they're going to hear you say. They're going to hear you saying that you think you're better than them. That's what they're going to hear. That's what they're going to hear. And when they hear that, and I'm not downing them because I do that myself, when they hear that, there's going to be one direction that they're going to take. They're going to begin to attack you. And they're specifically going to attack you to begin to look at the inconsistencies in your own life. They're going to look at you and say, Really? Looking at me like, dude, you've got problems. 
and I was irritated because it was Friday. I wanted to get out of there early. And I'm thinking to myself, man, I, I, this has got to be something worthwhile. Okay. And I had to drive. And so I get down there, and this kid's I'm like, dude, what's, what's going on? He's a young officer. And I said, what's going on? He said, man, I'm depressed. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm like, okay. Um, and not like that. Because <laughs> 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 um, some counseling is really interesting, and some counseling is like, why are we here? He's like, I'm depressed because my girlfriend broke up with me. You know, more fish in the sea, what am I going to say here? You know? um, and I'm like, well, why'd she break up with you? Um, well, she broke up with me because she's a Christian and I'm not. And I'm like, oh, this just got really, really interesting. <laughs> really interesting. But difficult um, because he's depressed and I don't want to make him more depressed by saying, oh, she should have helped you. I mean, that's the right decision. <laughs> she didn't date you too long. That's the right move. And I said, well, well, here's the deal, dude. And he was working through some things in the Christian faith already. I said, here's the deal. Let's just start meeting the next three to four months. And we'll just start looking through the Bible. And, and you can ask me any question you want. And we'll just discuss the Christian faith. Um, and so we started doing that. And about shortly through that, he called me and said, I've received Christ. I've embraced Christ. And, and, and I will be baptized, and I baptized him, and he joined the church, and he started being a disciple. Um, he called me about two months ago, he said, Chaps, I just want to reach out. I haven't talked to him in a year. He said, I just want to reach out to you and say, thank you for proclaiming the gospel, Lord. Um, I'm still in that church, I'm saying, me and that girl, we started dating again. Um, we're getting engaged, we got engaged, we're getting married in, in two months. We're, we're faithful in the church, and I, and I just want to thank you for that. That's a great story. I love that story. But not everyone's like that. <laughs> and the problem is that it just doesn't happen enough. It just doesn't happen enough. And you wish it would happen every time, but it doesn't. Well, how do we motivate ourselves to declare the gospel? There are several things that motivate me to declare the gospel. The first is this. God commands us to be sober-minded. What does it mean to be sober-minded? It means to be sober-minded is to think seriously about life and death. Um, you know, there's one thought that really isn't talked a lot about. Um, and every time I think about it, it immediately, even me, it, it makes me uncomfortable. The reality of hell. The reality of hell. Do you believe in the doctrine of hell? Do you believe in that reality? It, it's a sobering thought, isn't it? It's a sobering thought that, that God is going to send people to hell, judgment for eternity, who are not trusting in Jesus Christ. It's a sobering thought, isn't it? You know, sometimes the Christian life is disciplining ourselves not to think on certain thoughts, and sometimes the Christian life is disciplining ourselves to think on certain thoughts, thoughts that make us uncomfortable. Sometimes I'm going up to the ship in the morning, I'm walking across the bow of the ship, and I force myself to think the thought, that there are people here that are going to spend eternity in hell under the judgment of God. And that God has placed me here as a witness. You know, that, that thought, it, it has to do something to you. If, you, if you've got, if you're saved, it's got to do something in you. 
when you're walking to, to work tomorrow, you're walking into that, that firm or you're walking into that school or that fire department or that law firm, what do you think that thought would do to you? That there are people there beside you in their offices that you work every day and that one day they're going to stand before the judgment of God. And they'll either spend eternity in heaven or hell. And the gospel is the only message that can change them. The second reality is this is the greatest, the second greatest commandment to love your neighbor. You cannot love someone without warning someone. You just have to. Love requires us to, to warn. We cannot truly love our neighbor if we do not desire to do everything that we possibly can to get them to not spend eternity under the judgment of God. You see, folks, the reason that we ultimately don't evangelize is because our faith is weak. My faith is weak. Evangelism requires us to have deep faith in the promises of God. The promises of God is this, that God's word will never return void. Never. It always reaches its intended effect even if we don't see objective realities. Faith requires us to believe that and grasp that. And faith requires us to believe that God is always doing more that is unseen than what is seen. And evangelism will require a person to have deep faith. May God grant us deep faith to proclaim the gospel in this very dark, dark age. May we do it with kindness, graciousness, but with clarity and boldness. Father, we ask that you be, be with us, Father, in this endeavor, and grant us grace and strong in Christ. Amen. Mm -hmm.